Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Sock Takes podcast. I am your host, Nipun Chopra. Joining me as always is the founder of Sock Takes, Mr. Kevin Johnston. KJ, how are you? I'm doing excellent, man. The The bigger question is, how are you? You, you picked up a little bit of a knock on the training grounds last week, but um, <laughs> I can confirm multiple sources. You are back available for selection. Not only that, but... I hear you can go a full 90 now, too, so it's good to have you back, buddy. Thanks, man. It was a Nigel de Jong-esque tackle right to my belly uh, <laughs> that, that got my appendix in one straight shot. But thanks for uh, thanks for those kind words. I am a little loopy today, but I'm so excited because our guest tonight is is one of was someone whose work we fought for a long time, and we're excited to talk to him. Joining us on tonight's pod is Red Bull's, head co- Red Bull's two head coach and true legend of the club, John Walnack. John made 138 appearances for the Red Bulls in a career spanning from 99 to 2010, which took him to various MLS clubs. As a coach, he's already lifted the USL Trophy last season. He was also awarded the USL uh, Head Coach of the Year, and he took a very young squad to championship gold last year. John, welcome to the Soft Takes Pod. Guys, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And we want to thank... uh, our good friend, friend of the show, friend of Sock Takes, Willie Whitelaw, PR extraordinaire for Red Bulls 2, for helping set up this interview for us. So thanks, Willie. Uh, John, we want to talk a, a variety of things tonight. We'll obviously talk about Red Bulls 2, but we wanted to start with your own history in the game. Um, you know, we can only learn so much from Wikipedia, only learn so much from articles. Tell us a little bit more about how you came to uh, love the beautiful game. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, obviously long story, but, uh, I'll try and keep it short. So, uh, my parents were not soccer players, but decided my dad was a track athlete, decided that it was uh, a great way to get my, get his, get his kid running around a little bit. So <laughs> that's how I started about five years old. And, uh, you know, obviously grew to love the game. Um, born and raised Staten Island, New York. So, uh, grew up about 20 miles from Red Bull arena. Um, you know, obviously as a young kid, it wasn't so easy to, uh, you know, have idols growing up in the game just because right. won a lot of games on TV and it wasn't covered by ESPN and all these mm-hmm. things. So uh, a lot of that has changed. All the things but, we uh, take for granted now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's very different nowadays. So I, I remember watching Italian League on Sunday mornings in, in Italian and it didn't hold my attention very well. So it caused some <laughs> uh, difficult moments between me and my dad. But um, <laughs> yeah, I grew up, grew up loving the game. And uh, as I grew older, I just got more and more involved. I ended up going getting a full-ride scholarship to uh, Fordham University in the Bronx, so kept it in New York. Um, well, you played all four years, and you were first. Uh, you were in the first round of the MLS draft in 99. Yeah, so I scored a lot of goals in school and uh, kind of drew some attention to myself. And, uh, you know, I went to Fordham not thinking so much about uh, pro career, but more about academics and what kind of job I was going to get. So mm. uh, two years in, though, MLS started in 96. So... Uh, started to become a fan so i was first a fan of the metro stars and then luckily uh three years later i was i was getting drafted by them in the first round so um you know just uh an interesting path but uh one that i'm you know very grateful for and uh you know getting drafted in 99 was exciting but got released a couple months later uh (laughs) so or fired depending on on your point of view but um it happened to me a bunch of times but it, it also led to you know, my successes as well, those those failures, yeah. those uh, tough moments were 
you know, there were testing moments for sure, but, uh, you know, it, it only solidified my, my love of the game and, and my, uh, knowledge of how much I love the game. So, um, moved around, played for a bunch of different teams. Uh, you know, I did my, uh, my cross country tour from 05 to 06 when I went from, uh, the Metro stars to Columbus to LA and back to the Red Bulls. By that time I changed it to change the rebels in a little under two years. So, yeah. Um, moved around quite a bit, but then from 2006 till basically now, I've been, uh, you know, a member of the Red Bull team in, in some form or fashion. And, uh, you know, it's really continued to foster my love for the game. And obviously now it's rotated over to uh, the coaching side when I retired in 2010. Um, Red Bull was very good to me. They, were, they wanted to keep me around in, in some capacity. And, uh, you know, I got to bounce around from different job or whatever, but I landed with the Academy, did two years with the Academy, uh, got to see how, how much has changed in, in the youth game, uh, in the U S by, by, um, you know, working with the Academy and, and seeing the advantages that young kids have now, um, of having MLS academies and, and even some of the clubs, the youth clubs, uh, how, how improved they've, uh, become over the years, uh, the two years of that. And then, uh, when, uh, Mike Pecky got the job, uh, he gave me a call and uh, moved me up from the academy to, to the first team, did two years with Mike, and then Jesse came in with Ali, and um, that's when we started uh, Rebel 2. So I've been Rebel 2 coach now for two and a half years. When when along the way did you realize that coaching was something you were interested in? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, part of it started uh, when my uh, brother got into so my brother's seven years younger than me and uh right away uh you're once he starts playing i think he started you know around five years old i'm 12 at the time so instantly i'm a coach so um not always good at it we had some battles or whatever but uh mm. you know i was always going to his trainings and helping out and um there was something that our club was into having the older guys come come in and, and either play or teach or help with with the young guys so that's kind of where it started and then you know, as a young professional soccer player in uh, the early 2000s, uh, the financial part uh, was not always uh, up to par. So you had to make a little money. And one of the easiest ways to was to uh, grab a team and train either a couple times a week or a few times right. a week. And uh, so I started in that in that way. And, uh, you know, I, I always felt like I was pretty good at it, that I can, you know, I wasn't always the most organized or the most discipline but i felt like i had good information to give people and uh as i grew older and more mature uh learn more about the game I, I felt like i was getting better and better in coaching so i i started my coaching education before i finished playing um so i you know i'm not sure exactly when that moment was but i it was something that kind of um was always there i'm not always sure that i knew i would make a career out of it but i knew that it would be um something that i did uh, as i finished up my career uh playing wise uh, I know in some form or fashion I, I would be a coach, but you know, uh, thankful to Red Bull, I've been able to make a you know it a full time job. You you mentioned at the start that it was difficult for you to have uh, players you looked up to because there wasn't that much exposure exposure for you. But that wasn't true when you came into coaching. I mean, one of your first coaches was someone we all know, ex U.S. Men's National Team coach, ex Swansea City coach Bob Bradley. You were exposed to all different kinds of coaches, so. What sorts of things did you pick up from coaches and which coaches were influential in the way you yourself coach now? Yeah, great question. Uh, yeah, I, I 
I was very fortunate to have some really good coaches along the way. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Bob Bradley. Uh, he's probably first and foremost in my mind and, and probably the most influential. Um, you know, his work ethic, his organization, his commitment to the team, are probably the biggest things I get from Bob. Um, his ability to use video um, was huge. Still, you know, there aren't many things that you remember specifically from coaches along the way. I've been asked that question a bunch of times. But Bob, I, I remember specific things for a number of reasons. One, because he was seriously so listened to him in a good way. Yeah. But two, he also was had a good way of of giving you a message and then backing it up with, with either an image or a video or a clip or whatever. So uh, a few of the things that I, that really helped form my playing career that he gave me, um, you know, stuck with me and, and that definitely had a big influence on, on how I go about coaching. Um, he's also, you know, one of the main reasons why I, my career uh, was able to last 12 years because he, um, you know, in 2000, he picked me up in the Super Draft, so I ended up playing with him in Chicago for a year and a half. And then a couple of years later, in 2003, when he became the Metro Stars coach, he brought me back. Uh, so he gave me two opportunities, two shots at, at MLS, and, uh, you know, helped me establish myself in that way. But I also got to play for Bruce Arena, who was also very organized. He was a bit more of a manager. He was, um, you know, I kind of draw on Bruce's influences a little bit more now, being a head coach and trying to, you know, the one of the under... Um, appreciated or um, recognized jobs a coach has is how he manages his staff. And that's one, right. one thing that I don't think I was as well prepared for, you know, being a head coach, but something that I've really um, taken seriously over the last year, year and a half. So uh, Bruce is a great manager. He knows um, people's strengths and weaknesses very quickly. And he knows how to organize and, and put things, you know, put the right people in the right places so that the, the team works in, in a, Everybody's utilizing their strengths. Um, so those are the main guys. I mean, I've also played for Ziggy Schmidt and uh, Frank Klopp. Um, um, well, uh, Juan Carlos Cesario, um, Hans Baca. I got to play for a bunch of good coaches. Yeah. Part of it is because I moved around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a storied list of coaches um, right there. And as an aside, what do you say to the, the constant comparisons that we see now between the likes of uh bradley and klinsman and and um and of course um um, um you know basically a list of any any coaches uh, i'm curious what you think of when when fans compare coaches or co coaches against each other do you think that's a fair thing to do or should each coach be allowed to exist in his own little uh, or judged by his own little parameter of of uh, metrics yeah, interesting question. I mean, uh, you know, I, th I think people have to be given their space and, and you know, be able to, to do their job in the way they want to do it. Every, we're all individuals. We all go about our business. Everybody has a job and they do it a little bit different than somebody else would, right? No matter what profession right. you're in. Exactly. But at the same time, we're, we're in an entertainment business and, uh, you know, I, I fully understand that people are going to judge me as a player and they're going to judge me as a coach. And that's part of the part of the job, part of the fun, um, part of the um, in, inevitable part of being in entertainment. So, um, you know, my, my job wouldn't be as exciting if people didn't voice their opinions. So you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd be on a, uh, a blog, right, um, a podcast right now, if, you know, people weren't expressing their opinions and listening <laughs> and wanting other people's opinions. So, uh, you know, with social media and stuff, we've become a very opinionated society and, and maybe things get a little, 
um, too critical or uh, too aggressive or whatever, but it, it's it's part of the part of the gig. So uh, you know, I, I try and take it with a grain of salt. I'm open to every comment, and you know, I, I try to learn as much as possible, no matter what the source. But I will weight my sources, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, but I do think it's it's just uh, uh, you know part of the job. Oh, that's a pretty good way to look at it, especially in the the craziness that is lower league American soccer. Uh, in, in, in your own career, it's a, it's really interesting. You, you The year you left Galaxy, one of my favorite players, I'm a Man United supporter, one of my favorite players of all time, David Beckham, came in. The same with Thierry Henry about four years later when you retired uh, from the game at Red Bulls. So how do you contextualize the need for these marquee stars and your own role as one of the best uh, academies in America in developing talent. How, how do you how do you compare and contrast the the issues with with these marquee stars versus these young underdeveloped talents? Yeah, so um, it is. I never really thought of it that way. That that I left uh, LA right before um, David showed up, and then you know never never really got to play with him. Not then we got to meet him. Um, played against him a little I bit. Like obviously. I, I feel like I just uh, poked at at a wound you didn't know you didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I don't. I certainly don't look at it as a wound. Uh, maybe a missed opportunity, but uh, you know. And then um, I was actually let go uh, when Thierry came in, so maybe that maybe that's the wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I did get to spend time with Thierry, and I, I did get to coach him. And uh, you know, I I think. Uh, one of the things I've learned along the way is that, uh, you know, getting to higher levels of play or coaching or whatever, a lot of that is, is just opening your eyes and seeing something different, seeing something at a higher level. Yeah. Um, you know, they talk about playing players up or whatever. You know, it's kind of the same thing. It's just the player needs to feel and see what it's like to, to do something at a higher level, a higher speed or with more athleticism or with, you know, with your mind working faster or whatever. And, you know, I think, um, both those players were able to add that to our league. The, I always felt that Red Bull, the players that played with Thierry, were better players for playing with Thierry. Um, maybe not at the time because of, you know, some of the difficulties of playing with Thierry, but he exposed and showed um, the players that were around him uh, what a higher level was like and, and right. how good the game can be played. Um, so, you know, I think that was necessary for the league. Uh, side note, obviously... David Beckham coming into the league, I think, was probably it's hard to pinpoint the exact time or place or whatever that happened to, you know, um, accelerate MLS's growth. But I, I would have to, I, I think, few people at would least argue, contributed, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that David Beckham was a it was a sea change for the league, and it and it yeah. really um, was the catalyst for pushing the league forward. And uh, you know, at the time, you you were recovering a little bit from. Um, when the league went to 10, play, 10 teams and got rid of two teams um, till now, now you're looking at it and they're adding two teams every other year. So, right. um, and, and Beckham had a huge impact on that. Um, you know, a couple examples were just him, you know, crossing over from not just being no known by intended. soccer fans, but being known by your average fan, your average, or even people that aren't even fans of athletics or sports, you know, knew David Beckham and started to know our league. Um, you know, my, my wife always comments about him because of his good looks and stuff. So like <laughs> people just, you know, they just, it, it broadened the, um, 
uh, impact of the league yeah. in that sense. Um, so, you know, I think in that sense, it was a necessary step. Um, to contrast that to, um, you know, academies and developing players and homegrown players and all that stuff, uh, I think, you know, both angles are necessary, both, you know, especially at the time with, with Beckham and then later Thierry, um, the league needed, you know, an injection of popular um, crossover type personalities, celebrities. Um, and also the, the game needed a little bit of, you know, higher level player to, to help it move along. Uh, and now the development part is, you know, the future. It's what we need over the next five to 10 years is to produce those types of players on our own. Um, so I think that now you're kind of in that transition period where teams aren't just going after huge names, but are going after more quality players, uh, still willing to spend the money, but now also investing the money to, um, you know, have younger kids come up through the ranks and, and uh, contribute uh, at a high level. And I think, uh, you know, to, to be fair to my club, they, I think we do a great job as far yeah. as finding talent, developing talent, and then trusting in that talent and putting it on the field. You know, uh, our last game, you know, we had five homegrown players on the field at one time. So that's a right. you know, pretty impressive uh, commitment to our area, our club, and, and uh, the guys that are behind the scenes helping the kids uh, get better. KJ? Yeah, John, speaking of homegrown talent, one player I wanted to ask you about is a homegrown signing of the New York Red Bulls first team, Brandon Allen, who, of course, was Rookie of the Year last year in USL and also MVP of the USL Cup um, during your title run in 2016. So earlier this month, there was some news that he got loaned out to Minnesota United FC. And I just am curious to know, um, how excited are you for this opportunity to get, um, to get Brandon some experience at the next level? Yeah, really excited. I mean, I, I started with the academy part-time in 2010 and then 2011 full-time. And Brandon, you know, is one of the guys that I remember uh, from that time, you know, right away. He, you know, he was on a team with Dan Metzger and Sean Davis and, it was one of those the the first groups of players that we had that we we could see uh, you know a higher level of talent coming through and you could obviously you could see that now with those guys uh, being with the club and you know Brandon now um, trying his talents over with Minnesota and then obviously working with him last year when he turned professional um, the kid can score he's got a great left foot uh, I spent a lot of time with him myself being a forward um, you know trying to help him and obviously he has high level talent. Uh, so, you know, he had a really successful year last year and, uh, you know, obviously was a major contributor to us, uh, having a great year and, and winning a championship. Um, I think with, with Red Bull, it, it, it's a hard thing and, you know, a couple of contributing factors to him, not really cracking into the first team, obviously Brad, you know, one of the best forwards in the league. So, and, and he's very, uh, durable and healthy and fit and works hard. So it's, it's hard for Brandon to get time. Some of it's the formation. You know, we didn't we didn't play a ton with two strikers and didn't have a ton of success with two strikers, so it makes it difficult. Again, another reason why Brandon had trouble. And I think in in some ways, you know, having had such a good year last year and then scoring some more goals this year, he, he kind of fell into that weird zone where he was kind of outgrowing the second team, but at the same time not quite getting in with the first team. So I think it was in, in the best interest of of Brandon and the club to to maybe find 
some kind of intermediary step. And, uh, you know, luckily uh, they were able to work something out in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, luckily he wasn't able to play against us uh, this past game. And we take home three home points. And now I can just uh, root for him to do well there. And, and uh, you know, I always – my job one for me is to take, take a player, whether from, from our academy, from our draft or whatever, and, and give him all the tools that he can to, to move up and play with our first team. And if I can't, you know, it's not going to happen for everybody, then I hope at least I prepare him to move on um, with another club and, and go be successful at trying to keep track of as many of the guys as, that I've been in contact with as I can. And obviously Brandon will be, you know, one of the highest on that list uh, with the amount of time I've spent on him and the amount of success that, uh, you know, he's had with our club and uh, certainly wish him all the best and, uh, you know, hopefully he's scoring goals for Minnesota in the near future. Two other players that we should uh, definitely bring up are the two Mats, the two famous Mats, Matt Miazga and Matthew Olisande. Two players that are currently at high-profile clubs in Chelsea and Manchester United, respectively, um, on the cusp of U.S. Penn's national team performance, uh, inclusion as well. I've had the privilege of watching Olisande in particular quite a bit, thanks to MUTV for the reserve games, and he's had quite a few good games at right-back. So talk to us. John, about the development of these two players and how uh, and, and the process from which you saw these young, uh, undeveloped talents to, to turning them into players that were, uh, that were deemed interesting to clubs of the stature of Chelsea and Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, listen, we were, we were having a conversation the other day in the staff about... Um, you know, where, where some of our players are, are showing up. And, uh, you know, as, as much as, again, we want our players to come up through the ranks and go to the first team and, and stay with the club, you know, sometimes, um, you know, it's time to, to make a move and, and go on, you know, and especially in, in uh, Matt Miazzi's play, uh, place, you know, he, he got to spend time on our first team uh, and then, you know, wanted, wanted to try his talents in, in Europe and obviously, you don't you don't find a much bigger, more aggressive club than than Chelsea. So well, except um, Manchester United, but yeah, yeah maybe I guess that's possible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, again, Matt was was a guy that was with us since uh, U14 uh, for sure. I know that for a fact. And then, you know, uh, I knew coached him while he was with our academy, and uh, you know, obviously knew he was a high level talent. Um, and, you know, I certainly not sure I ever pictured him playing in a Premier League game, but yeah. obviously, you know, he, he continued to grow and uh, he took his physical talents, matched them up with his um, soccer talents and, uh, you know, matured in, in good ways. So he, he you know, started to, uh, you know, exceed our highest expectations. So we're, we're really proud of what he's doing and how he's going and, and where he's going in the future. So, um, you know, not to brag too much, but, uh, you know, I did have Matt in, the, in our first reserve game, and uh, um, you know, we, we were in Chicago at the time, and he was still with our academy, still in high school, and uh, you know, we started him in, in a reserve game, and we ended up being beating Chicago as reserves. Uh, I think it was five-one or something like that. It was a pretty lopsided game, and uh, our GM or our sporting director at the time was Andy Roxborough, and he turned to me and he goes. Uh, the young boy Matt passes the eye test, and I was like, he, "Yeah, he passes the eye test, and uh, you know the game test, the field test, and you know the all, all for me passes a lot of the tests." So, 
Um, it wasn't too too long after that 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 uh, I think it was that summer that we ended up signing him, and uh, you know that he was going back and forth with uh, should he go to Europe or should he go to college or should he go to you know sign with us? And uh, obviously things worked out pretty well with him when we finally uh, come to to stay with the club. Uh, and then all of Sunday, um, very similar experience. You know, Matt was with us through. Our, I, I was actually. Uh, the U13 head coach for a short period of time, and that's when Alessandre was with our U13 team. Uh, we used him as a right winger, um, you know, mostly because he was fast and athletic and had some, you know, very technical ability. So, uh, very quiet kid, awesome, uh, very respectful kid, um, hard worker, um, and also got to have him in a reserve game as well. Um, at that time, um, our reserve team was playing some USL games. So they had the USL MLS partnership that started. Uh, the Rebel, the uh, MLS two teams weren't, haven't started yet, but the reserve teams in MLS would play, I think it was two, and then maybe the next year is four games against uh, professional teams, against USL teams. So uh, we got to play Matt and that in one of those games. And uh, I think he was only 16 at the time and started him at defensive midfield. And I, I thought he was one of the better players on the field. So, you know, I, I think those two guys are, are great examples of, of what talent is in the area, how well we can move them forward, how, what opportunities we can give them. Uh, I think it speaks well to, you know, it's a great uh, anecdote to how impactful um, reserve teams and, and MLS2 teams can be and how they're starting to fill that development gap of, you know, those 18 to 22-year-olds that, you know, have been difficult to, for our country and our league to develop over the last uh, 20 years. But um, those guys have, have two pretty similar uh, experiences and uh, very positive experiences with, with uh, you know, the development uh, moves that have been made over the last uh, four or five years. John, I understand this is a very loaded question, so forgive me for asking this. But uh -oh. um, any kid listening to this podcast has the same question, which is, how can they go from being the unknown kid who we're not talking about on the podcast to a Matt Miazga, Matt Miazga or a Matthew Alessandre? What are the ingredients of getting to that level? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I get asked that question a lot. A lot of parents like to ask me that question. Um, you know, some, some younger players. Uh, it's, it's not an easy one to answer. Right. I and mean, obviously... You know, there's thousands and thousands of kids out there that that want those very few jobs, and only a few people get to experience it at a high level. And uh, you do the numbers on on uh, you know taking whatever Chelsea and Man U, some of the top two clubs in the world, the the, the number of players that go through there are very minimal. So um, I think it starts with um, you know loving the game, passion. If, if you can't you can't be good enough at this game if you don't have a passion for it because it takes too much hard work too much sacrifice uh, too much um, commitment and drive that if if you're not totally in love with the game first and not oh I want to play in front of thousands of people and make millions of dollars uh, then it's, it's not going to work for you so it's your level of love slash passion for the game that that is probably the biggest separator um from you know those young ages to uh you know as you grow older and, and get to be uh a professional so you have to start there and then it just becomes you know it's a interesting combination of a little bit of luck 
can you stay healthy? Can you do you work hard enough to, to keep your body in, in good shape? Do the right people see you at the right time? Do you find the right coaches to invest in you and, and see your strengths and, and be able to, to foster those strengths and push you forward? Um, mental toughness goes into it too. It is not an easy job as much as people uh, kids want to do it it's it's very difficult and very tests it tests you on, on all levels um, whether it's your confidence and, and your belief in yourself or your ability to be away from your family or your ability to commit to something and, and sacrifice all the things that you need to sacrifice um, is do you, are you able to stay on the straight and narrow and not get yourself in trouble you know all those things add up um, to, to pushing yourself on and then you know how 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 honest are you with yourself? Are you, are you able to assess yourself in a good way and say, okay, these are my strengths and I'm going to play to them. Okay. These are my weaknesses and I'm going to work on them in a, in a good, honest way. Um, you know, so some combination, and then obviously you have to have a certain level of talent. You know, if, if you're thinking about being a pro, then you're probably with a good team and you probably do pretty well for yourself and that whole thing. So you probably have at least a, um, a good level of talent, but you know, you, you have to have some kind of natural ability as well. So, Somewhere in there is an answer. <laughs> basically, basically, what I'm really getting at is, is it too late for a 33-year-old appendix-less <laughs> Indian man who hasn't, who's way, way, way too much to come join the academy? That's the real question I'm asking, John. <laughs> Those are a lot of weaknesses there, so it's hard to... <laughs> the appendix part might be the, the, uh, the eliminator. <laughs> so, so you're saying there's a chance, John. KJ, we, we had a couple of questions from uh, Twitter. Yeah, we had a couple of Twitter questions from a good friend of ours here in Indianapolis, Mike Carney with Lady Victory. Great website. Shout out to the to them. And one of his questions was also probably a question you might get quite a bit, John. Um, just your advice specifically to young coaches. To young coaches. Uh, interesting. Uh, I, I really believe that, um, one, we need young coaches because I feel like the players are starting to outgrow the coaches in, in, in this country and, you know, maybe not at the top levels, but maybe at the top levels as well. But uh, just in numbers and stuff, I think there are so many good players out there now that it's hard for um, there to be enough really good coaches out there. Uh, and that's something that's just going to take time. And, you know, as players that played and went through the game or, or uh, uh, fans of the game, you know, continue to to watch and learn and see game at, at all different levels. I think those coaches will develop. So my advice to them is just one, uh, again, it, it starts with uh, a passion for the game and loving the game and, and being able to commit to it in, in a good, honest way. Um, two is, you know, watch, don't just watch the, the high level games. And this is not just because I'm a second division coach, but, uh, you know, watch different levels of games because, uh, you know, you can't take a, a U12 team and make them play like Manchester United. So you got to find, um, you know, the next step in what, in what um, your team can look like uh, if, if you work at it and help them and, and whatever. Uh, I think one of the big things that I believe in is empowering your players. So don't go out there and put a bunch of cones out there and tell players to stand next to them. Uh, you know, let them make choices, let them learn on, the, on their feet, let them learn in the midst of the game. Um, I think that's a huge thing, especially with soccer, because it's such a, a player driven sport. It's not the coaches can't do much once the whistle blows. So you have to empower them as much as possible to make decisions uh, on the field. So that which means they have to make decisions 
uh, when they're in training. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that a lot of young coaches miss. And the other Twitter question, which was a little broad, so I'm going to kind of narrow it for you, but it is, what is your coaching philosophy? I'm going to put a little spin on that to narrow that down. Um, I noticed uh, last year with NYRB2, not only was your overall record quite impeccable, but particularly your road record was very phenomenal. I don't have exactly what it was in front of me, but I think you had at least 10 double-digit wins on the road. So specifically, what do you do differently um, as far as your coaching philosophy when you're approaching that difficult road test? Uh, Yeah, so I think... There's a couple of things going on there. Um, one, I think, in general, I, I feel like a lot of coaches uh, change their playing style on the road. Uh, and I don't. So I think that's part of it. I think our style also, and, and what I'd say to that is I, I'm a little bit freer to do that. I'm allowed more uh, leniency in that sense because, you know, uh, we're not, I'm not focused on results winning is important and learning to win is important but what comes first for me is is developing players so uh in that sense i have to take advantage of every game that i possibly get every minute of every game to help my players get better and push them in in the right way so i'm not going to go on the road and say be conservative or play for a tie or anything like that i'm going to go i'm going to tell my players that we can win and we're going to push to win and we're going for three points every time so i think that's uh you know, it's not just a credit to, to myself. It's it's a it's the situation, right? We we have the freedom to do that because we're a reserve team. Um, I think our style of play fits playing on the road as well. Uh, you know, a lot of teams at home are going to feel comfortable. They want to they want to build the, the game up in, in a certain way and play out of the back and these things, and that plays right into our hands uh, when we're a pressing team. So, you know, the combination of of uh, a development style of coaching and our uh, specific tactical style of play on the field uh, leads us to, to have a, a pretty good amount of success on the road. And, uh, you know, our team obviously struggling a bit this year, but uh, we've played pretty well on the road and we've, we've dropped a lot of points in, in late minutes and stuff, maybe due to physical limitations or being tired or whatever. But uh, we've also played pretty well and dominated some pretty good teams on the road this year as well. So uh, I think, I think that's where that comes from. And speaking of the high press, one thing I found quite interesting, I heard you mention it on the Red Bulls Insider podcast recently, was that um, it kind of ties into you wanting to play the high press, which the Red Bulls first team loves to play. And what I gathered was it seems like you like to kind of mimic the major changes but not necessarily. You're not necessarily micromanaging every little thing um, and trying to completely replicate everything the first team does. But the major changes you try to implement with NYRB2 is that pretty much accurate? Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Um, you know, the first team can change quite a bit from week to week, and I don't, I'm not sure that's efficient in in uh, in uh, helping players get get better from week to week. I, I think they need some consistency in that sense. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't change at all. And at the same time, I'm preparing for the first team. So what they're doing. So like you said, if there's a major change, then I'm, I'm going to have to consider it and look at it and, and uh, you know, maybe replicate it, maybe replicate it in certain ways. But, you know, I'm going to have to consider it. Uh, if it's a small change, a slight shape change or a, a, a small tactical change, uh, I'm not going to have to um, implement that right away. 
So um, I just feel like that's the, the best way to go about preparing them for the first team, but at the same time um, allowing for development. And another last couple of questions. We know we know we've kept you too long already, John. But um, another couple of last couple of questions. Um, you were talking earlier about tr- transitioning from being, you know, the player X to being Matt Miazga or being Matt Olusunday. I'm curious, in your opinion, why does transitioning from USL or NASL for that matter to MLS or other leagues prove to be so difficult sometimes? What's what are the differences? Uh, obviously, there's a difference in ability level. That's the obvious one. But I think there's something more to that. So as a coach, what are the sorts of things you're preparing these players for in terms of their career beyond USL for them to succeed in, in these other leagues? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I, the first place that I go to is how competitive MLS games are. So if you look across the league, you know, there's always exceptions, but... For the most part, you know, teams are rather even, um, you know, draft, salary cap, all the rules that are in place, <laughs> all the long list of rules that are in place for, <laughs> for, for, for uh, rosters uh, make for even teams, which make for competitive games, which means you have to bring it every week if you want to be successful in that league. So um, I think at times in the lower levels, there's a little bit of room for, I'm not having a great day. I'd, for some reason, things aren't working today, but that's okay. You know, we're still going to be okay in this particular game, whatever. So, you know, just holding that standard high all the time is one of the uh, the biggest things. And, you know, young, especially with young players, um, one of the first things that they have to learn is that, you know, you're not the player that your three best actions are. You're the player that, you know, you're the the player that is all your actions during the game. So, mm-hmm. you know, just scoring a goal, you know, is not enough. You have to do more. You have to help your team in, in all ways. And especially the way we play, um, if you're going to be a high-pressing team, you know, you, ha- you can't have guys take off. You can't have guys uh, have mental breaks. You can't have guys, um, you know, not working all the time because the other team will find, you know, those little pockets of, of, non, of, of uh, non-resistance. So, um, I think that's probably uh, the biggest th- difference. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a physical thing, you know, um, MLS has become fairly athletic league. So, you know, you, you have to be able to handle your yourself and, and, you know, you have to be able to, and, it, and it's not just size. It's also, you know, can you handle being hit? Can you handle getting fouled? Uh, I think the league has started to move away from that a little bit. And I think we've seen that over the last couple of years in, in the way they officiate games. But, um, you know, there is a, a difficulty in the physical part of the game and, and how, how much contact is allowed and, and stuff like that. And then you would throw in the the challenges of travel and, and different, um, you know, our country's big and there's a lot of different uh, climates to play in. So um, with all that, it's it's a tough league and and to be really successful at it you have to um, be held to a high standard and you have to have you know a lot of mental strength and, and that's probably one of the, the biggest things you know there's a lot of talent in USL and NASL um, but is that talent consistent and are they mentally tough so that they can continue to um, and, and be successful and a contributor in, in for you know 80 90 minutes plus 
in every week. Well, even though you guys are in eighth right now, I think under your tutelage, Red Bulls 2 will be successful. But I will let's end on this, John. Will you ask one of your uh, strikers to celebrate his next goal with the same celebration you did a few years ago? The one with <laughs> the thriller celebration. You know the one I'm talking about? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I would never ask anybody to do that. <laughs> you should absolutely do that. And I think uh, once that happens, Red Bulls 2 will be back into their winning ways. That's my opinion. <laughs> I appreciate that, but I, I, I wouldn't put that on anybody. <laughs> John, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Is there anything we can plug for you? Uh, no, just uh, you know, hopefully there's some Red Bull fans out there or you know, guys are following and soccer fans in general, man. I, I think uh, the, the league is... And soccer in general has grown a lot in this country over the last few years. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And, uh, you know, even in the USL level, going to these games and, and seeing the crowds that they're putting together uh, is really exciting. And, uh, you know, I've, I've spent some time in the lower leagues, uh, professional playing-wise. And, uh, you know, it's come a long ways and it continues to grow. And it's great to see. You're here. AJ, anything? Um, I'm hoping we can just get one last prediction from John, just a, a prediction of this Gold Cup final Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to go with the U.S. I mean, uh, I think they've they've shown um, in the amount of players that they've used and uh, that and and the success that they had that it hasn't been perfect, but they have a wide range of players to pick from. And, and when you have that type of competition, it only leads to to success on the field. So uh, I think they've narrowed down the the roster now, and they can see you know Bruce has made some good choices in in that sense. And now going forward, it's just. Uh, you know, one more game, and they look pretty sharp, especially to you know as they've gone, grown through the tournament. So uh, I think, especially with uh, the way they finished off the last game, I think uh, all signs point to the U.S. Breaking Josie Altidore to do the thriller celebration after scoring a winning goal <laughs> in the Gold Cup. <laughs> you heard it here on the Stop Picks podcast. <laughs> all right, thank you, John. Thank you for joining us. Um, Everyone listening, you can find us on socktakes.com. You can find me at Nipun Chopra 7, Kevin at KJ Boxing, Aaron, who didn't join us today. We miss him dearly. He'll be back on the next pod. Um, and make sure you get on Patreon and uh, subscribe there and make sure uh, you leave us a review and all that fun stuff. KJ, did I miss anything given my current state of Vicodin? Um, just one last plug. Immediately following the Gold Cup final between the USA and Jamaica on Wednesday, the game starts at 9.30 Eastern. We're doing a special podcast episode, so if you stay up, if you're a, a night owl or if you're out on the West Coast, uh, stay up and give us a late night listen to our uh, a late night edition of the Sock Takes Pod, which will feature um, a great writer, Ryan Phillips of the big lead. So we're really excited to have Ryan and make sure to check out that Wednesday episode. Thank you everyone for listening. This was episode 26 of the sock takes pod.